0: Turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 11. So we continue to work our way through the book of 1 Samuel. We'll begin with 1 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, then we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you that I gouge out all your right eyes, and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days' respite, that we may send messengers throughout all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people. And all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words. And his anger was kindled, greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were three hundred thousand, and the men of Judah thirty thousand. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day, Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. May God add His rich blessing to the reading of this portion of His Holy Word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father, we come before You as sheep who need to be fed, who need to hear the voice of their Good Shepherd. And we pray that You would break the bread of life to us, for we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from out of Your mouth, O oh God so feed us by your word and we ask that you would enable us to hear the voice of the good shepherd who said my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me and i give to them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and none shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. May we hear the voice of our Good Shepherd, know Him and follow Him, and have the eternal life that is found only in Him with eternal glory, in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, Amen. Be seated, please. The Lord who saves, or the Lord works salvation. You remember that when Saul was publicly coronated king of Israel, that the last thing we read was that some of the men there scoffed at him and asked, How can this man save us? Here in this passage, we see the answer to that question. When threatened by a ruthless enemy, the Ammonites, led by Nahash, Saul, the new king, leads them to victory. But Saul himself says who it was that really saved Israel. Look at verse 13. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation. In Israel. Now we know that Saul is not going to turn out to be much of a leader. And when he was introduced to us in the previous passage we saw last week, there are already red flags going up on Saul. Saul will in fact prove to be God's judgment on his people for their rejection of him. And yet the Lord still loves his people. Even in judgment, he cares for his people. And here in this passage, the Lord will work to save his people, even through a poor king and a poor leader. So now let's look at the Lord who saves. First in this passage, we see abject indignity abject indignity. Look at verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them on this condition I will make a treaty with you that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. Now here, when attacked, the men of Jabesh-Gilead, they will negotiate terms of surrender to Nahash, the Ammonite. They offer themselves to be his vassals. In other words, they say to the Ammonites, make peace, don't attack us, and we'll let you take over. But Nahash offers them terrible terms of peace. Gouge out everyone's right eyes. Those are the terms of surrender. There are at least two reasons for this. One, it would make it nearly impossible for them to mount a rebellion. But number two, and even more pertinent, is what is recorded at the end of verse 2 and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. That's really what he wanted to do. Bring disgrace on God's people. This is really what the enemy is always trying to do. To bring disgrace, indignity on God's people. There's no way he can successfully attack the Lord himself. So the next best thing is to attack his people. His people made in his image and whom he called out from the world and redeemed to be his own possession. The enemy wants nothing more or less than to bring indignity on God's own people. And here we see that to make peace with the enemy, as the people of Jabesh attempted to do, is to subject God's people to abject indignity. Every time the church has tried to make peace with the world, to make peace with a hostile culture, shame. And indignity has come back on the church. There is no truce to be made with the devil. He will not peacefully coexist with God's people. And so the people of Jabesh Gilead are faced with a choice. They can fight the Ammonites and risk certain defeat. Or they can surrender. And guarantee certain defeat. We see abject indignity. Secondly in this passage. We see the spirit of the Lord. Look at verse 3. The elders of jabesh Gilead said to him. Give us seven days respite that we may send messengers through all territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all people wept aloud. Now to some extent, Israel seems to be inviting the indignity on themselves. You see that they said in verse 4 at the end of it, if we can't find anyone to save us, we'll give ourselves up to you. This is not some play for time here. They're up front. They say, we're, we'll give us a week and we'll try to find someone to help us fight you. But if not, we'll, we'll surrender to you on your terms, and let you gouge out our right eyes. You see what they're thinking? It is. It would be better to suffer this shame, this indignity, than to die. At least we could stay alive. And Nahash the Ammonites, he's so confident. He says, fine, take a week. Go try to find somebody to help you fight me. He's so confident. And Nahash takes a sadistic pleasure in giving them a few days to squirm. Word gets to give you. Tribe of Benjamin, home of Saul. And they all weep. The a sense of utter defeat. But then something happens. Look at verse 5. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words. And his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messenger, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people and they came out as one man. See, the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul. Same spirit. In the days of the judges, rushed upon Samson. not time to go into detail about the changes of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But here, clearly, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon Saul. And the first thing we read that happens when the Holy Spirit rushes on Saul is Saul's anger is kindled. Wait a minute. Seems like I remember somewhere the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on. Holy Spirit comes on Saul. First thing we read is his anger was kindled. There's no contradiction there. He is the Holy Spirit. And holiness always entails hatred of sin. Anger, indignation at sin. And so in his indignation, Saul takes two oxen, he's driving the oxen, they're yoked together, he takes them, he hacks them up and sends the dismembered oxen through the pieces throughout all Israel. And says essentially, come fight for Jabesh, or your oxen are next. And then we read that the dread or the fear of the Lord... On all the people. You see, when the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God Almighty comes on a man or comes on a nation or comes on a church, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and gets a hold of you, you realize that there's a far greater fear. In this case of the Ammonites, there's a far greater fear. Fear than the fear of what man of what this world can do to me Jesus said fear not them which kill the body but after this there is no more that they can do but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell And when the Spirit of God comes on a man, he learns that there is something more important than merely staying alive and eking out an existence. There's something more precious than life itself, and it is the honor and glory of God alone to surrender. To the Ammonites, to let them be masters and gouge out their eyes will be an attack on the honor of God. Better to die fighting for the glory of God than let them bring this indignity upon his people. Better to die than allow the honor of our Lord to be assaulted. That's what happens. When the Holy Spirit really comes on a man. That's what happened when the Spirit was poured out on the apostles at Pentecost. Men who had abandoned their Lord Jesus in fear just weeks earlier at His crucifixion were now ready to die for His honor and glory. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 and look at verse... Twenty-seven Acts five twenty-seven. And when they had brought them, that's the apostles, they sent them before the council and the high priest questioned them, saying, "We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. That's the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching." And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter. Peter. Man who had denied Jesus. I don't know that man. Denied Jesus to a little servant girl. Just a few weeks before. Now says to the high council of the Jews. Verse 29. We must obey God They were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, and every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ... Is Jesus. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of people. They will not fear what man can do to them. They left the presence, the council, with blood dripping from their backs where they had been scourged, where they had been beaten, and strictly charged not to teach in the name of Jesus. Anymore, And they left the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. And they would not cease teaching and preaching the name of Jesus Christ. There are things worth dying for. And this is what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a man. So we see abject indignity. We see the Spirit of the Lord. And thirdly and finally in this passage, we see that the Lord works salvation. The Lord works salvation. Now, in this passage, when when Saul hacks up the two oxen and, and sends them out says, this is a warning. You better show up and fight or it's going to happen to you. We find out that about 330,000 men turned out and they won the day. Beat the Ammonites. Scattered what was left of them. Who wasn't killed. Now look at verse 12. After the battle is won. Then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today day the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. See, after the battle... Even Saul gives all glory to God. Here Saul has mustered the troops, led the men to victory. And you remember those worthless men at the end of uh, chapter 10 when Saul was officially proclaimed king who said, they they scoffed at him, how can this man save us? Well, here at the end of verse 11, uh, they want to execute these men who had mocked Saul. Bring them in that we may put them to death. But Saul himself says, No, not today. Today is all about the Lord, He has worked salvation in Israel today. So they make offerings to the Lord and rejoice. This is the message of the Bible from beginning to end. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah proclaimed it in the belly of a fish, at the bottom of the sea. Salvation is of the Lord. And we read in the book of Revelation that there is a great multitude from every nation, tongue, and tribe gathered before the throne. And they're saying salvation is of the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord and to the Lamb. It's what He has done. The Lord Has wrought salvation. So Jesus said. On the cross. It. Is. Finished. He has worked. Salvation. We cannot work salvation. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot do the works. We are not good enough. We can't do a thing. So we think about our national unrest and turbulence. I certainly don't deny that there are wrongs that need to be righted. But we hear an awful lot of talk today about the need to atone for sins of the past. Wrongs. may need to be righted. All of us have wronged people. We need to make it right when we do. We can't atone for our sins. You know that old hymn. Not the labors of my hands could fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. And the good news, the message of the gospel, the message of the Bible from beginning to end, is that he has. The Holy Spirit came on Saul, and Saul did something in the spirit he couldn't do for himself. And that same spirit that came on King Saul would later form a perfect king in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. When he formed the God-man. And we read that when that baby was born and as a boy he grew, that he grew in the spirit And then we read that when he was a man, that when he went down to John the Baptist to the water and was baptized with the sinners, that the Spirit came upon him and anointed him in the form of a dove. And we read that the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. We read that the Spirit empowered him and he cast out devils by the power of the Spirit. And we read that on the cross he offered himself to God without blemish through the eternal Spirit. We read that that same Spirit raised him from the dead and he ascended to the right hand of God and received the promise holy spirit whom he has poured out on his people this is what god has done to save his people and so Saul said the Lord has worked salvation in Israel, and Samuel says, let us renew the kingdom. It is time to renew the kingdom. You notice the last word of this text, verse 15 says that all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Now you remember before when they were gathered that there were a few worthless men that that wouldn't have this. But now we read that all the men of Israel rejoiced. At least for now, for this day, no scholars. They had an opportunity to own the king. And not be killed. My friends, we have an opportunity to own our King, our King who has worked our salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen.